Hi, boys and girls. This is Ms. Kathy. I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Summer Job, as told to Ivy R. Doherty. I look like a scarecrow, Mom, I groaned as I stood in our kitchen doorway the day after school let out for the summer. What am I going to do for school clothes in September? I know I sound like a girl, but the truth is, I don't have a thing to wear. Mom put down the potato she'd been peeling and came close to me. She has gentle brown eyes, and she used them now to give me a looking over. My jeans were half-masked, my t-shirt crawled up my back and left bare skin showing, and my long-sleeved overshirt exposed the bottom part of my arms. Women would call them three-quarter sleeves, and that's all right for women, but not for a guy ready for the eighth grade. And to complete the picture, my collar refused to meet in the front of my neck. Mom sighed. You're promising to be a big man, Joe, she said softly. I can't imagine how you could have grown so much in one short school year. I know everyone has problems, but mine seemed bigger than most as I stood there wondering about the future. Dad had been laid off at the lumber mill since fall, and all we'd had coming in was what the mill folks call rocking chair money. That's really unemployment compensation for men in Dad's situation, and it's paid out for six months. It was barely enough to buy groceries for my parents and us four kids, I'm the oldest, and after six months, it ran out. In Oregon, where we live, working in the lumber business is the big thing. There are dozens of lumber mills, and when there's a slump in the lumber market, there are a lot of unemployed fathers. So it wasn't easy for Dad to find another job to tide us over until the mills got into full production again. And Dad pointed out that it would cost too much money to move us to another part of the state, even if he could find a job somewhere else. Plus, there was Dad's seniority at the mill that was valuable to him. So all around, it was best that we stay put, as Dad said. I should add here that Dad wasn't trained for any other kind of work. He'd never finished high school, and he said to me during the low time, Let this be a real lesson to you, Joe. Whatever you do, make sure you get a good education so you'll have your pick of jobs when the need comes. Mom looked for work, too, but about all she could find was a bit of babysitting and some ironing for women who worked in offices. We'd had to give up our newspaper subscription, so on my way home from school each afternoon, I'd stop by the library and check for jobs advertised in the Tribune. I looked for myself, and for Mom, too. There was never anything I could do, and the few times I got phone numbers for Mom, the jobs were already taken by the time she was able to call. Now Mom was saying to me, There will be some way, Joe, to get you some new clothes before school begins. We'll just have to try harder and think harder about what we can do for you. Mom's voice didn't sound convincing. I went out to the street and walked a long way, a mile or more. I kicked a pop can, then walked, kicked the pop can again, then walked some more. I stopped when I spotted a Mayflower moving van on Fairmont Street. I crossed over to watch the men arranging furniture in it. A kid came out of the emptying house. It was Tom Arrowsmith. I knew Tom at school, but I didn't know where he lived. Moving, I said. What's it look like, dummy? Tom retorted with a half grin. Dad got a job near Portland. Just as well, too. Hey, I don't think they found a kid to do my paper route. Want a job? Want a job? I whistled. Who do I see about it? He told me the desk I should go to at the Tribune office and then added, Hey, you got a bicycle? I shook my head. I'd have to do it on foot. 
I don't think they'd let you. He frowned. People want their papers fast. If I'm five minutes late, they almost send out a search party or have heart attacks. Getting the Tribune seems to be all that happens to some people. I'll go see them anyway, Tom. Thanks for telling me. When I got to the Tribune office, the man at the desk said, Tom will be delivering one more week. See what you can do about getting yourself a bicycle. We'd like to give you the route. Now what, I fumed. How can I possibly get a bicycle and in just one week? So I walked and walked and found another pop can to kick. I just kept walking until eventually I came to the best part of town. They call it the East Side, and beautiful big houses perch along the streets. I watched a tan and brown Cadillac back out of a driveway a few yards away. The elderly woman driving it smiled at me and then buzzed off. People with Cadillacs have plenty of money, I thought. They don't have to worry about where they'll get new clothes. They just get them. What would that be like? E. Gamble was on the mailbox of her house. It was on a corner lot, so I went around so I could check out all sides of it because I was curious to see what kind of house a rich woman like Mrs. Gamble lived in. A hedge surrounded the place, and ivy vines creeped over the walls. When I walked along the back alley, I spotted a hole in the hedge, low down by the ground. I supposed that dogs had made the hole. I suddenly decided to crawl through the hole into the yard just to take a better look at the house of a Cadillac owner. The house was shut up and quiet, and I wondered whether Mrs. Gamble lived all alone in such a big mansion. Then it hit me like the fast baseball that had once clunked me square on the forehead. No one's home. Mrs. Gamble is rich. There'll be money lying around somewhere in that house for sure. It isn't fair that she has everything and I can't even get clothes to wear to school in September. She'd never even miss a hundred dollars since she's so rich. There were two basement doors. I rattled one door to try to open it, but it didn't give any. So I tried the other. I rattled it harder and harder. Whoever bolted it from the inside hadn't been very careful. It swung open, and I half wished it hadn't. You idiot, I thought. What are you doing? But I entered the basement and closed the door softly behind me. When my eyes got used to the half-light, I saw stairs. Carpet on basement stairs, I mused. Imagine that. I was about on the seventh step when I heard a car door slam. Oh, no. A stabbing feeling shot clear down inside me. What now? What have I done? I thought. I crept back to the door, ready to run for the hole in the hedge. Then I heard footsteps above my head, and I supposed it was Mrs. Gamble up there getting something she'd forgotten. Then I heard someone leave again in the car. As soon as the car pulled away, I got out of there fast. I ran and ran. I took no time to kick a can now. The few people I saw in yards or on the sidewalk stared at me. I knew that none of them had seen me go in or out of Mrs. Gamble's basement, but I just kept running. Then I spotted a brick church, an old one covered with ivy vines just like Mrs. Gamble's house. Its doors were open. I rushed in and plopped down in the seat closest to the doors. While I sat there trying to breathe normally again, a croaky voice said, What gives, boy? You look as though a boogeyman scared you or something. The voice came from an old man in striped overalls, and he held a yellow dust cloth in his hand. He just stood there looking at me. Then he came and sat beside me. His old nubby hand reached out and patted my shoulder. You're in trouble of some sort, I'll bet, he said. If it's none of my business, say so, but if there's any way I can help you, say that too. 
All I know is that no normal-minded boy comes dashing into the Lord's house all a-puffin' and scared-looking like you be, except something's up. I just sat there for a few minutes, not saying a word in answer. I could feel the old man studying me. Then he said, You be Joe Dewey's boy, don't you? I nodded. I'm Joe Jr. I was surprised that he'd guessed who I was because I didn't think I'd ever seen him in my life. That's so, he said. I remember when Joe was knee-high to a toadstool. You're the living image of your dad at the same age. What's your dad doing these days? Ain't seen him in a long spell. That's the trouble. Dad isn't doing anything. He's been off work since last fall, and the mill hasn't called him back yet. Then I just opened up and told that man the whole story, even about getting myself tempted into being a thief at Mrs. Gamble's house. That just ain't no way to tackle your problems, the old man said. All you do that way is to make a bigger problem than the original, don't you see? He was silent as he stood and began to dust the pews. Then he came back to me and said, The good Lord loves you, Joe. He loves you so much that if you lay your case before him, he's bound to make something turn up for you. Believin's the big thing, Joe. The good Lord always said when he was here among people, according to your faith. I believe he's got ways of helping you, Joe. You want to kneel down here with old Ben Cummings, and I'll spell it out to him? Old Ben puffed and grunted as he got down on his knees. I slid down beside him. Thank you, Lord, for helping this young Joe to run away from doing some stealing, he began. This here lad needs clothes to wear. Seems he's growed so much of late. Help him to get to know you, Lord, and to have faith in you, and give us some ideas as to how he can solve his big problem. You see the whole picture, and you know what is best. Old Ben pulled himself up by the back of the pew in front of us and sat back heavily in his seat. Now, Joe, he said, we'll just sit here and wait for God to give us some good notions about how you can get your bicycle to run your paper route, or failing that, how you can earn some money some other way. How's that set with you, lad? I nodded. As I sat there beside him, Mrs. Gamble's ivy-covered house popped into my mind again. I kept thinking about it and the hedge and the big yard and how I had come close to stealing from her. Then a bright idea hit me full force. Maybe Mrs. Gamble might need someone to work for her. No harm in trying, as the old saying goes, said Ben when I revealed my thoughts to him. You hike back there, and if she's home, you ask her whether she would hire you. Check with me if she doesn't need you, he added, because in the meantime, I'll keep my thinking cap on. Mrs. Gamble was back home when I reached her house. I was scared to death, but I rang her doorbell anyway. I'm Joe Dewey, Mrs. Gamble, I said, trying to keep my voice from sounding trembly. I'm looking for work, and I'm willing to do anything to earn some money. Come in, Joe, she invited, and I followed her into her kitchen. I'd like to see a lad who is willing to work. She smiled. I have a gardener who comes twice a month, but I could use you between his days here to keep the lawn trimmed and watered and to put out my garbage and do other odd jobs and errands for me when I don't feel up to going out in the heat of the day. How does that sound? It sounds very good, ma'am, I answered. And then, without thinking very much about it, I blurted out, But before you give me a job, I have something I've got to tell you. Otherwise, I couldn't feel right about working for you. I want you to know I sneaked into your basement earlier today, and I had in mind to steal some money from you if I could find it. I thought you wouldn't miss it, seeing you're rich and all. I need some clothes real bad, Mrs. Gamble. That's why I was planning to steal from you. I'm sorry. 
real sorry and ashamed, too. She sat in one of her kitchen chairs and looked at me for what seemed a long time. I thought, now I've lost my job before I even started it. But I couldn't help that. I had to tell her. Finally, she said, what made you come back here again, Joe? And the expression on her face told me that my answer was going to be very important to her. So I told her the whole story about running inside the church and how the old janitor talked to me and prayed with me and said that the good Lord loved me and if I had faith, I'd get some money to buy my school clothes. And the idea had come to ask her for work. I noticed a tear or two stealing down her face, and then she said, That man is a true servant of God, Joe. He was there, waiting to be used. Used? I asked. Yes, she said, smiling now. He shared his faith with you, and he told you that God loves you. What greater way is there to be used by God? Then she added, I'll expect you tomorrow morning, Joe. I kicked another pop can all the way home, but it was a different kind of kicking this time. I was thinking hard about all that had happened to me since I'd said that to Mom about looking like a scarecrow. I was thinking about how I'd prayed for a way to earn some money, and now I had it. I was thinking mostly, though, about old Ben Cummings and what Mrs. Gamble had said about his being there, waiting to be used. I was thinking it would be nice if I could be at the right place sometime when some kid needed some help, too. I gave the pop can one more kick before going inside and announcing, I've got good news, Mom. Good news. The story you have heard today is from God's Greatest Stories, written by various authors and compiled by Randy Fischel, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church.